Just so you know, the Greek words for it is finished actually means paid in full. It's an economic word. It's a word that, well, I don't know if you ever had a big bill when our son was born. What am I doing with all these? He was quite ill and ended up in the hospital for months. And um, the bill was supposed to go to our insurance company, but it came to us. And when I saw how much it was, thousands upon thousands of dollars, I called the insurance company. They apologized. They said, you don't, know, you don't owe anything. We'll take care of it. And I said, could you send me something with that big red stamp that says paid in full on it? I didn't breathe easy till about a week later when I received that in the mail. Well, Jesus stretches out his arms and he says, folks, it is finished. Your sin has been paid in full. Amen? History tells us that the early church, when they would get together, someone would say something like, the Lord is risen, and then the church would respond by saying, He is risen indeed. Why don't we give that a shot? The Lord is risen. He is risen indeed. Mm, and because of that, I've entitled today's message, right up here on the screen, The Tomb is Empty. No bones about it. And on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Peter he preached a very similar sermon to the one that I'm about to preach, because I'm going to quote Peter a whole lot today. Let me give you the background to Acts chapter 2. Go ahead, Case, with the next slide. Peter uh, and the rest of the apostles have been instructed by Jesus to go into the city of Jerusalem and wait there until you receive power from on high. Well, 50 days later there is a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it is so loud. I mean, it's like hurricane force. It draws the attraction of thousands of people to where the twelve apostles were. And the twelve apostles being filled with the Holy Spirit, there's like cloven-like tongues of fire above their heads. And Peter says, well, Jesus told us to be his mouth, his hands, his feet. What a great opportunity to share the good news about Jesus. And so they began to preach that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. And he starts to wind down the message with these words, brothers. Now he's not saying Christian brothers because these guys weren't yet Christians. Many of them are about to be. He's just saying Jewish brothers, in much the same way we might say, my fellow Americans, my fellow Jewish brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died. See, they were looking for someone like David. Remember Palm Sunday when Jesus came riding in on the donkey? Hosanna, Hosanna. That's what they're thinking. David back from the grave, or at least a David-like figure, a descendant of David, those that were really with the times. The patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, that is David, and knew that God had promised him on an oath that he would place one of his descendants on a throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of who? Christ. 
that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. As a matter of fact, Peter denied the Lord three times before this event, but he would never deny Jesus again after this event. I've got a question for you this morning. Suppose you were Peter. Suppose you were trying to convince. You see the question? Suppose you were preaching to the people that crucified Jesus, and uh, you wanted to convince them that Jesus had risen from the dead. How would you go about that? I mean, what would it take to convince you? Someone might say, well, if, if, if he could tell me something that only he and I knew, just the two of us and nobody else knew, maybe that could do it. Someone else says, well, you know, maybe if, um, maybe if he appeared to lots of other people and and I knew I wasn't just hallucinating. You know, have you ever seen something and, and you go, did you just see that? Because you, you, you can't believe your own eyes. Yeah, I just saw what you saw. Well, Jesus did that to over 500 people at one time he appeared to. Someone says, that might convince me. Someone else says, well, maybe if we could have a meal together. Maybe we could sit down and have breakfast And I could look Jesus in the eye. We could carry on a conversation, enjoy a meal together. And then when he left, I could go, I know that's real because there's his leftovers. There's his plate. That's where he ate. Did you know that Jesus did all those things that I'm talking about? Uh, On the Sea of Galilee, he appears to the disciples. And while they're out fishing, he's on shore making breakfast for them. And they had like fish McMuffins or something, you know. And, and so there they are eating, and, and when it's all over, they're all going, was that real? Yeah, look, there's his plate, there's his bone, that, that's the fish bones left over. I suppose that would do it, folks. Peter's convinced, and so were the twelve. And these all, all these guys died saying, we saw him, we saw him. We... You don't die for a lie. You don't die for a hoax. Ugh. Newsweek magazine did a story by a guy named Meacham, John Meacham, how Jesus became Christ. And the article, really what it's doing is asking the question, how did a Jewish prophet become a Christian savior? I like this Meacham guy. I don't know if he's a believer or not. He just wrote the story. But I do know that when people delve in deeply into the story, that they usually become believers. Um, Lee Strobel, you're familiar with that name? Uh, do you know his story? His wife became a Christian, and he didn't like it. He thought, what are you buying into that garbage for? He was a newspaper reporter. He worked for the Chicago Tribune. And he thought, well, I want my wife back, and so I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to delve into the historicity of Jesus Christ, and I'm going to look into specifically the resurrection. I'm going to prove to her that he didn't rise from the grave, and then I'll get my wife back, and she'll realize she just believed a big hoax. Well, he, with his reporter-like tenacity, delved into the story, and you know what happened? He ends up becoming a believer and writing a book called The Case for Christ. And it's all about how Jesus rose from the grave. I don't know.
know about this Meacham guy, but I know he's a pretty accurate writer. Let's read his story. The story, it seemed, was over. Let's read it from the screen. That's right. Convicted of sedition, condemned to death by crucifixion, nailed to a cross on a hill called Golgotha, Jesus' life was coming to an end. According to Mark, the earliest gospel, Jesus' suffering and approaching the end repeated a verse of the 22nd Psalm, a passage familiar to first century Jewish ears. If you grew up in synagogue and going to temple, you would know this verse. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'll tell you why. Because of my sin and because of your sin. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. And because of my sin, God had to pull back from Christ. Because every sin in the world that has ever been committed in time past and time future were imputed into His body on that cross. And God pulls back. For the first time, Jesus. The first time in eternity, Jesus doesn't feel the presence of the Godhead. Meacham points out correctly that the disciples did not even expect a resurrection. Not even the women who went to the tomb to finish the embalming. Remember, uh, Passover was coming and they couldn't work on the Passover. They, They started embalming the body of Jesus and if you know anything about the way Jews would embalm, they would take linen wrap, like a mummy, and wrap you up and between the folds it would pour a mixture of myrrh and aloes, spices, sticky substance, but when it would dry, it would harden just like a resin shell. They wouldn't mummify the face. They would just put a napkin over the, the face of the body. But they had to do a pretty rush job. And they want to complete the job, and so it's early on Sunday morning. Sun's just coming up and the like. And they're wondering, how are they going to move that stone to finish the job? But when they get there, see, they're expecting what? A body. They meet an angel, Mark 16, 6 says. And the angel says, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. Yep, true, you were there, you saw it. But what now? He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. That verse used to be confusing to me. Not the he is risen part, but see the place. What's there to see? A hollowed out tomb in the rock. There'd be a little shelf-like structure there. And by the way, it was a borrowed tomb. Jesus didn't even own it. A guy named Joseph of Arimathea, a rich guy, owned this tomb. And so here's a rock-like shelf, and he's saying, see the place. You know what he's showing them? that mummified wrapping that they just a few days earlier had prepared. And it's now just as solid and hard as resin. But the folds, were it wasn't like someone unwrapped them. It was still like a cocoon-like shell. Are you seeing what they're seeing? But you know the head napkin, you know what they found out about that? One of the Gospels says, it was neatly folded in another place. It's like Jesus just sort of whoop, rose from that shell, folded the napkin, put it over here like, eh, when Peter and John get here, they're going to like to see this too. Pretty cool, right? 
see the place. Meacham describes the early reaction of the news of the resurrection. And so begins the story of Christianity. With confusion, not with clarity. Everybody's confused. Woo! They weren't looking for a resurrection. The resurrection takes place, and they're confused. According to Luke's gospel, the disciples at first treated the women's report of the empty tomb as an idle tale, and they did not believe them. I bet the women didn't like that too much. The gospel of John says, that Jesus' followers as yet did not know that he must rise from the dead. Come on, guys, how could you not know that he was going to rise from the dead? Well, if you would have been one of them living that side of the tomb, you wouldn't have got it either. Now, Jesus talked about it, right? But they didn't get a whole lot of things. And neither would you have. And from that uncertain beginning sprang... The Christian movement, which today numbers over two, get this, two billion people. One-third of the world's population believe the story. I like that. Now, not everyone that claims to be a Christian is a Christian. You need to understand that, too. Newsweek did a poll that reveals that even in America today, 78% of Americans... And I believe our society is getting more and more secular all the time. Do you not? But 78% of Americans say that they believe in the resurrection of Jesus. They believe he rose from the dead. And not all of them are churchgoers. In Great Britain, BBC did a poll that says one-fourth of confessing Christians, now that's an oxymoron, don't believe in the resurrection. One-fourth. How can you claim to be a Christian and not believe in the resurrection? You're not a Christian. You can call yourself whatever you want to call yourself, but it doesn't make it so, right? And 57% of church attenders in Great Britain don't even believe the Bible's the Word of God. And I say, what are you going to church for? (laughs) Man, just stay home and sleep in, dude. (laughs) And not doing you any good. I'll tell you where they're going. Church has become their social club. That's where their friends are. Mom and dad used to go, grandparents before them, and so, yeah, I think I'll go. But they don't believe. Going to church no more makes you a Christian than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. It's got to be in here, guys. It's got to be here. There's got to be a connection between the head and the heart. Is anybody warm but me? Are they getting it taken care of? All right. As it gets too hot in here, I'm just stopping. Someone's saying, turn the heater on. Now, let's get through this. There are many different ways to argue the resurrection of Jesus. I like the Newsweek article. It mentions two of them. First of all, you got the empty tomb. That is huge. Without the empty tomb, we're all in trouble. This is a simple statement of fact. When the women got there, the tomb was empty. It was open, and it was empty. When Peter and John got there, history tells us the tomb was open. The tomb was empty. When the Romans investigated, the tomb was open. The tomb was empty. When the Jewish leaders, oh, they were so frustrated with this. They checked it out. The tomb was open. The tomb was empty. 
This one fact has never been successfully answered by who? The critics. They don't like it, but they can't answer it. They try all kinds of weird wacko theories, but they can't answer it. If Jesus did not rise from the grave, what happened to the body? I'll tell you. There's only three possibilities. The friends took the body, the enemies took the body, or Jesus was God, and he rose from the grave on his own resurrection power. He'd raised others, right? Raised Lazarus from the dead. Raised a widow's son from the dead. He raised himself from the dead. Well, why do you say the friends took the body? What would be the point? Well, they don't want to worship a, a corpse, do they? So that doesn't even make sense. And where were the apostles when Jesus was being crucified? Didn't they all run and hide? Weren't they all afraid? As a matter of fact, the only one that went to the crucifixion itself was the apostle John. And the next time you meet up with the apostles, do you know where you find them? You find them in a room together, And the Bible makes a point to say, and the door was locked. Why is the door locked? They're still afraid. They haven't, you know, seen Jesus yet. They're afraid of the authorities. They're hiding out. And Jesus, like in Star Trek, you know, beam me up and beam me down. Materialize us right in front of them. Thomas isn't there. They're trying to convince Thomas. Hey, we saw him. We saw him. Thomas, I'm not going to believe it. I'm not going to believe it. I touch him with my own hands. Put my hand in his side. Feel the nail prints in his hands. Thomas was late to that meeting. I call him late Thomas, not doubting Thomas. The next time he's, he's on time and Jesus shows up and he says, Thomas, go ahead. Here I am. Don't you think Jesus knew all that? He heard it. And Thomas falls down and says, My Lord and my God. He becomes a believer, just like that. So the friends of Jesus were afraid. And besides that, what was placed at the tomb so the friends of Jesus could not steal the body if they wanted to? You remember the Roman guards? And a seal was placed on it. And Pilate says, Make it a secure. Cure as you can. Where are these scaredy cat, afraid, afraid fishermen who are not trained in warfare going to get the courage to overcome a guard of four who are trained to stand their ground within a ten foot radius? They're not. And so the friends of Jesus couldn't steal the body. And the enemies of Jesus wouldn't steal the body. Because the whole point was to keep the body in the grave. So on the third day, they could go and they could bring the body out and say, all right, here's your God. You want to worship a corpse? Go right ahead. And Christianity never would have got started if they could have produced a body. But they couldn't. Friends couldn't. Enemies wouldn't. And it leaves only one other possibility. He was who he claimed to be. God with us. God in the flesh. Keep moving. The second thing is, 
Jesus appeared to 500 people. This was no hallucination. This was huge. He appeared to Mary, to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, to Peter, to James, to all the apostles, and eventually to 500 people at one time. These appearances happened at different places in different circumstances over many days. Jesus invited Thomas to touch him. He ate fish with the apostles on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. When Paul listed the various appearances of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15, 5-8, it was like a legal brief, as if to say, If you doubt my word, these witnesses are available. Check it out. Here are the name, addresses, and phone numbers. Go check it out. Do your own research. I don't know about the phone numbers, but the other stuff's right. On Resurrection Sunday, we need to keep two perspectives in mind. Number one, the resurrection is the chief cornerstone of our faith. Jesus can't just claim to be God. He's got to prove that he was God. And the way he proved that he was God was by the miracles he performed. The blind could see, the lame could walk, the deaf could hear, dead were raised, and the ultimate was he would raise himself from the grave. And in Acts 2, verse 24, Peter will proclaim, a one-time denying Peter will proclaim, God raised him from the dead, never to deny that event again. Jesus defeated death when he rose from the dead, number two. Peter talked, or not Peter, but people talk a lot about how natural and normal death is. And I suppose in a sense that's true, but let me tell you, when a loved one close to you dies, it doesn't seem very natural at all. It just hurts. I was reminded recently what an enemy death is. You know, sometimes people say, you know, when I die, don't mourn my death. Just I want one of those celebration of life things. I'm going, yeah, right. I mean, I sort of get that. You know what I'm saying? I'm not mocking here. I'm not trying to make fun. It's just, death is such an enemy. I mean, but we try to deny it and cover up. Why do we put makeup on corpses? Why do we use euphemisms like they passed on, they crossed over, they slipped away? If death is so good, why did Jesus come back from it? Death is an enemy. I was reminded... Jane and I were both reminded by a phone. We got a phone call from a weeping mother just a few weeks ago. Not even two weeks ago. My my daughter is dead. And we went over there and spent several hours with her. And, And we showed a few pictures And just the breakdown and the crying and the mourning and the weeping. God bless you, Martha. You're in our prayers. We're going to honor Yvette this Friday at 1 o'clock right here. And we're going to remember her. But when she cried, it reminded me once again what an enemy death is. And isn't that what the scriptures say? The last enemy to be destroyed is what? death. And Jesus is the death killer. Jesus destroyed death. 
when He rose on the cross. We celebrate Easter not because Jesus died, but because He rose. Where did death come from? It came from sin. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, that one man's name was Adam, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. I can't deny that. How about you? I'm a sinner. Aren't you grateful that we have one named Jesus who died for our sins? Adam got us into a mess. Jesus got us out of the mess. If you put your trust in him, Revelation 21.4, There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. Now, back to the original question. Suppose you are preaching to the men who crucified Jesus. And you wanted to convince them that he had risen from the dead. How would you do it? That's the challenge that Peter faces on the day of Pentecost when this crowd gathers around. And he told them a tale of two men in Acts chapter 2, 24 to 32, and our time is moving, so let's do the short version. Two men died, one famous, one not so famous. Both men were buried. One man stayed dead, the other man didn't. You can check out the story for yourself. David's tomb is not far from here. Evidently, when Peter was up preaching, David's tomb was still around. You could go visit David's tomb. He had died a thousand years earlier, but his tomb was still around. He was a patriarch and a prophet. He spoke of the coming resurrection of Jesus. He predicted that God would not allow his body to stay in the grave. He wrote this down in Psalm 16. When David, predict, uh, Dave, when David predicted 50 days ago, it came true. God raised Jesus from the dead. We saw him with our own eyes. Now this is sort of a stroke of genius that Peter would mention David. Because there were three men that the Jews revered more than anyone else. Abraham, Moses, and David. Abraham was buried in Hebron. Everybody knew that. Nobody knows where Moses was buried because the angels buried him. But David, everybody knew where David was buried. And he's saying, look, David's in the grave. Jesus is not. Jesus' tomb was borrowed. He only needed it for 36 hours. See, he didn't plan on staying dead. He didn't plan on staying in the grave. And so in verse 36 of Acts chapter 2, he says, Therefore, based on everything I told you, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. He's now your Lord. You had it right on Palm Sunday. So worship Him. He is your Christ, the King, the Messiah you were looking for. So follow Him. And you know that 3,000 souls, 3,000 people obeyed the gospel after He preached that message and were baptized into Christ right then and right there. Isn't that an amazing story? I heard a story about a Muslim that became a Christian. And his friends wanted to know, hey, why, why did you convert? Why did you leave the Muslim faith for the Christian faith? And he says, well, it's like this. Suppose you were 
walking down a road, and you came to a fork in the road. And you weren't really sure which direction to go. But at the fork in the road, there were two men. One was dead, the other was alive. Which one would you ask for directions? Mohammed's dead and in the grave. You can visit Mohammed's grave to this day. Jesus is alive. You can visit his grave, but nobody's home. I mean, go to the tombs of the founders of the world's greatest religions. Mohammed, here. Buddha, here. Confucius, here. Moses, here. Jesus, silence, because he's there. That's who I'm asking for directions. How about you? I like the way Revelation 1 verse 18 puts it. I am the living one. I was dead, yes. And behold, I'm alive forever and ever and ever and ever. And I hold the keys to death in Hades. One day you're going to die. One day I'm going to die. We're all going to die. I'm, my only hope and your only hope is in the one who holds the keys. His name is Jesus Christ. John 11.25 says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. What he's saying is, death for a believer is merely the continuation in the presence of God. You're just kind of going through that door into another door. You're leaving this life into a whole other life in the presence of God for eternity if you are a believer. It's what Paul meant when he said to die is gain. It's what David meant when he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And it's what Jesus meant when he said to a thief on the cross, today you'll be with me where? In paradise. Death, you're just transferring from one place to another. A dying man says to a dying man, today you're going to be with me there. Ooh, I love that. Now I've got a question. We're going to end. I've got six questions. Let me read them real quick. But they're questions that only you can answer. I'm not going to answer them for you, but I'll let you answer if you want to answer. As I ask each question, if you'll just say yes, if you believe it. Let's take a look. Number one. Do you believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God who came from heaven to live on this earth 2,000 years ago? Do you believe that when he died on the cross, he died in your place, bearing your punishment and pain for your sins? Do you believe that he literally, physically, bodily rose from the dead, never to die again? Do you believe that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God the Father? Do you believe that Jesus is truly the resurrection and the life and that he is able to remove the terror of death for those who trust him? And will you willingly stake your life on your answer, to the answers of the first five questions? You may have to someday. Fear not. That day may come. Christianity isn't the friend of everybody. Not everyone likes us, 
But Jesus says, be faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of what? Life. That's what I'm looking forward to one day. Do you know him this morning? You can. If you've never named Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, today is your day. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to lead a closing prayer. We're not going to have the band come up, but at the end of this prayer, if you want to get to know Jesus, Luis, one of our elders, we might, we might need several elders. We thought we might use the room back there today because we thought there just may be more people and the Spirit would move and some would be touched. I want to know more about this Jesus. I want to know more about the claims that he made. Some of you are ready... I know of two, Mike, that want to be baptized into Christ this morning. If you would go back there as well, we'll make arrangements for your baptism. If we can help you in any way, if you just need prayer, we'll pray with you. Elders, if you make your way back there now, when this prayer is over, let's all stand. When this prayer is over, or even during this prayer, you might want to go back there and meet with our elders. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for sending the very best. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die in our stead for our sins. And I pray if there be one here today that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior, that they would open the door of their heart and let you in. Because Jesus, if there's anything we know about you, we know that you're not rude you, you won't bust down the door. You will not force us to follow you. You've given us free will. But I beg you today, and I'm not above begging, open that door and let Jesus in. You'll never regret that decision. Especially when death finally comes. If you make this decision today, you won't die. You'll just kind of move into another entrance into the everlasting life in the presence of of God the Father. Lord, thank you for these people who have come out today to profess their faith in you. Bless them. Help them to have a great Resurrection Sunday with family and with friends. Thank you for being our hope of being risen from the grave just as your, your son did. And we pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.